Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On today's episode, we're joined by Liz Robbins. Liz is currently the Director of Journalism Partnerships for Define American, an organization whose goal is to humanize the immigrant experience in the media one story at a time. Prior to this job, Liz was a longtime reporter for the New York Times, first covering sports and then immigration. She's also a journalism teacher and professor and wrote a book about the New York City Marathon. Hi, Liz. Hi, Mark. So let's start where we start with everybody. What's your journalism origin story? Well, it actually has to do with sports. Of course, I was in the high school newspaper. I was one of the editors. And then when I got to college, I decided to join the staff. But first, I didn't know what I was going to cover. And all the editors kind of stood up, did their spiel. They were long-winded. The sports editor stands up and says, join sports, we're more fun. That's it. So I knew right away I was going to be covering sports. I was recruited to play lacrosse at Cornell. And now for those listeners, this was back before the women's team got really super great in the nation. And we were just starting out. I like to think our team was the foundation for that. But I stuck with the journalism and I covered everything from hockey at Cornell and football, a lot of women's sports. I really learned everything I needed to learn from people like Jeremy Schapp who was my sports editor. And I I know it was incredible just to see all of these great journalists who are still working today, like Dave Folkenflik, Ash Kamani, who of course is CBS News director. So yeah, we had quite an esteemed group. And that was my origin story in sports. So was there a moment from your upbringing that would have foreshadowed your interest in telling stories? Well, yes, the 1980 Phillies. <laughs> <laughs> that that was telling stories, at least sports-wise. I mean, I, I collected baseball cards like most kids in the late 70s and 80s, especially growing up in the greatest sports town in Philadelphia. Sorry, all you New Yorkers, but I know we haven't been winning all these championships lately, but that's okay, even if the Eagles are no longer undefeated. But storytelling, this is this is actually a, a good story because my uncle was an English professor and I remember, and a poet, and he would sit me down when I was four years old at a typewriter and we would compose stories together. And my aunt sent me a copy of something I wrote together with my uncle and didn't make a whole lot of sense, but just sitting down at a typewriter composing, I think I've been doing that ever since. So you were a sports writer at the St. Petersburg Times, the Cleveland Plain Dealer, the New York Times, and you had some prestige beats. You covered the Cleveland Browns, then you covered the NBA, the Knicks, the Nets, you were the national NBA reporter. You've also covered the Olympics and major tennis as we kind of zoom forward here. <laughs> and I see stories on your personal website about Steve Nash, Megan Rapino, the Williams sisters. What were the characteristics of your sports work? Very much like the characteristics of my immigration work. And that is humanizing people, you know, trying to find out what makes them tick, but also what makes them quirky and what they read, who their family members are. It's digging deeper, but also caring about them, a lot of empathy. And I love stats now, you know, stats are the way we tell stories, 
but I, I want to know about their origin stories and why, why they're on the field and what they're thinking or on the court. That to me is what really drives me. That's what I did with my book on the marathon, tried to find people who were very typical of marathon runners from the professionals to a cancer survivor, to a recovering alcoholic, to a grandmother, to somebody who's run it like 30 straight years. And so these people, I put the reader in their minds. And I also talked about the history. I love history. I was a history major in college and European history, Italian Renaissance. And so understanding how people interact with their politics, their community, their their leagues. I love that because it speaks to the universality of who we are. Now you've you've covered some of the largest names in sports. We were talking before you said LeBron, yeah. Steve Nash, yeah. Megan Rapino, the Williams sisters, as I just brought up. Can you take one of these and maybe give an example of how you got them comfortable with you? Wow, that's a great question about being comfortable. So many memorable interviews. You know, with Venus and Serena, I I got to see them from the very beginning of their career, so much so that I was there when Venus was just starting beating Martina Hingis and Richard Williams would say to me, as he said to everyone else, this one, pointing to Serena, this one's going to be great. And so I remember that. But, you know, that was more of a process going through agents, but it, it's showing up, Mark. It's... It's being there all the time, asking good questions and being prepared. I remember Serena and I got 22 minutes in her limo, uh, which was, you know, like a Lincoln Navigator or something. And it was right after she did a junior tennis league appearance. And she was talking a little bit about depression, opening up a little bit. And it was listening. And it's the same thing, whether you interview a college wrestler or which, you know, I love wrestling too. It's just listening to people. Steve Nash and I talked about Che Guevara and what he was reading. And, and he was talking about Dickens and everything he was reading. Jerry Sloan was talking about his dog. So, you know, <laughs> we started talking about how the dog would eat the pie off the cupboard. And off, uh, you know, where the sink was. And it's just that moment of connection and showing people that you care. Because if you care, your reader will care. So that takes us to what you're currently working on. Why did you switch out of sports, first of all? <laughs> I know. People say, wait a second, is that, that doesn't seem to compute, but it's exactly the same thing. And let me tell you the bridge to it. So when I was the NBA columnist in 2004, 2000, I mean, I did it for three years, but the first year I did a series called Faces from Afar that was a profile every week of a different international player. I love this. And I would, you know, I went and I actually would interview the players for a good half an hour and the NBA was great at getting me the players. And I opened up this window that I don't think fans really saw before. So I knew I wanted to do more. Oh my God, I don't know. Should I say like player agents or covering the Knicks? Was that it that did it to me? <laughs> um, hamstrings. I felt like after I wrote my book on the marathon in 2007, it came out in 2008, I wanted to do more. 
I really chronicled the city and I loved the city. So I, I covered Brooklyn. Before that, actually, I was on the breaking news desk because they weren't sure there at the New York Times. They're like, I don't know, you were a sports writer for so long. Can you cover news? I'm like, it is news. I mean, sadly, what we saw UVA, that's a sports story and all of that. And, and here's the thing. Now that I cover immigration or I had covered immigration for four and a half years with the New York Times and teach it and in my current position, I really want to say that there shouldn't be a division, right? Oh, you're the immigration reporter. You're just the baseball reporter. You're only this. Today, especially with social media and internet, everything should be integrated. And this is one thing that I really found. So this won't surprise you, but we just did with Define American, this whole project on local news. And we found that people have some viewpoints about immigrants that are not overly positive. Some are stereotypical that, you know, they burden welfare and that they commit crimes. These are stereotypes and they're not correct. The statistics show us that. However, if you present a story within a lens of, say, sports, business, arts, culture, people are going to see their neighbors a little bit differently. And that's what we found. People will say, huh, maybe these people are good citizens for our country. So it's it's a way of not you know, advocating, but it's doing smart journalism. And, it, and it's not just about policy. The same way you wouldn't just make it all about stats, right? People don't want to read about that. They want to understand what these policies mean away from the border. So explain Define American. Why does it exist okay. and how you came to work for them? Okay. Define American exists because of a journalist, Jose Antonio Vargas. And in 2011, he came out as undocumented. I don't know if you remember the New York Times Magazine piece, made a big splash at the time. He had been working for the Washington Post and he said he had been, he's undocumented. He was from the Philippines and he wanted to tell people this. So he founded Define American, really in an effort to have people realize through the media and both film, TV, culture, arts, that there are different ways of understanding, like we can humanize this narrative one story at a time. But interestingly, he had not had a journalism department. They had a whole movement before I got there about not using the word illegal to describe immigrants because it's not accurate. And many immigrants, as we know, are here on visas. Some actually are undocumented because they come legally and overstay their visa. So they had had this big push about, you know, not saying illegal, but that was it for journalism. So he hired me in 2021. I left the New York Times at the beginning of 2019. I took a buyout. They're offering buyouts to longtime reporters. And I went and taught. I pursued a book project that became a magazine article that came out all about bowling and how bowling is back. That is another secret of mine in sports. I love to bowl. My dad taught me to bowl. And I just wanted to do something different. So I've never worked for a nonprofit. I've been in newsrooms. I've been on press row. I've been in locker rooms. I've been in conventions. I've been in communities. I've been in the back of bodegas watching 
World Cup games with 20 Ghanaians and me. And it was awesome. They're all singing in twee and I'm having the best time ever. For me, this is a chance to mentor reporters, come up with toolkits. I am advocating for responsible journalism. I'm not advocating for immigrants to stay here or for policy. This is just about teaching. What is your family's relationship to immigration? This definitely motivates me when I have been covering immigration and teaching it. My grandfather came from what was then Russia and is now Ukraine and Dnipro, but back then it was Ekaterinoslav. And they were forced out by pogroms, came here. The name was changed to Robbins. And that is my dad's side of the family. And I, I definitely identify with this journey. And I've learned so much about migration, forced migration, and very grateful that we were able to come here despite a lot of the difficulties in the old country and build a life here. And my other side of the family, my grandfather was a printer, <laughs> so words everywhere. But this grandfather from Ukraine, he sold fixtures, lighting, appliances. And now I do words. And I think it's, I try and honor his heritage. So can you give us an example of like what you might've done yesterday or something that would kind of walk us through what exactly you do for the group? Okay. I'm getting old here, Mark. I can't remember what I had for dinner yesterday, let alone this. No, for the last year, I really have been very immersed in my research report called Reimagining Immigration News, North Carolina's case for the nation. And so up until about two weeks ago, when we had this launch at the Society of Professional Journalists Conference, this is all I was doing. So we were researching how local news covers immigration and or how it doesn't and how they can do better. And so this is a 78 page report with really cool pictures and yes, sports, cricket and soccer are in here. And we focus on collaboration. I think collaboration and collaborative networks are the thing right now in journalism, because if you don't have money to cover a subject, then you should collaborate with an organization that either has the know-how or the language ability to do so. So this is what I've been doing. And then the last two weeks, I'm figuring out this. How do I get into newsrooms? How do I teach this? I have a one hour, I have a two hour session. And so I want news leaders to say, yeah, we have to diversify our coverage, not just our staff, but our coverage. Because not only is it responsible by covering everybody who is living in your community, it's also really good business. Like these are people who could subscribe or watch or comment. So I think that it's no longer enough to say we don't have the money. And so that's what I'm trying to, to reach news leaders. So if you know any editors out there who are listening, you know, I'm sure they love hearing from a former reporter <laughs> who would always tell them what to do. But right now I'm I'm networking and working with as many people as possible. And then I'm also around to help out if younger journalists especially have questions on stories. 
on sources. People call me and say, what do you think? Who should I talk to? What do you think about this lead? I love doing that. So you're so like the I'm, ultimate resource. I am the journalist journalist. Yes, I am. That's so sweet of you. Yeah. And the, the joke is, if I don't know the person, I will get you to the person who will know that person. And there's this one lawyer in New York who knows everybody in the immigration world and will find you a source in Nebraska if necessary. So she's like, oh, I know this person at, at this law clinic. You should talk to. So, you know, Mark, it's really fascinating because there's so much language in sports, but there's language in immigration coverage, too. And it's really not dissimilar. You know, there's acronyms <laughs> and there's immigration law. One of the best journalists out there is now at the Los Angeles Times is, Times is Hamed Aziz, And we are both huge sports fans. And so we totally, he's like, wow, you're a legend in sports. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're a legend in what you're doing. But here's the fun thing. Hardly anyone at my organization knows that I was a sports writer. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even know what it entails. So, so I teach them. Pausing episode 101 of this podcast to share a promo for another show. Back on the very first episode of this podcast, I interviewed Eve Perlman of Spaceship Media. Spaceship now has its own podcast out. I've listened to every episode so far, and it's quite good. Here's a promo. She thinks her ability to Google is going to figure out some big global conspiracy. That so many issues have wedged families apart the last few years. Personal, political, a global pandemic. I haven't wanted to ask if you were going to get vaccinated because I couldn't live with the terror that brings in me. How one mother and daughter unwedged the issues that divided them. Colorado Public Radio presents The Wedge, everywhere you get your podcasts. Now back to my interview. Who's been who's been receptive among the people that you've spoken to, the organizations that you've gone to, the reporters that you've spoken to? Are there groups or people that have been specifically? So the National Association of Hispanic Journalists have been terrific. When we published a toolkit for quoting anonymous sources, not just an unnamed Eastern Conference official, as I used to do who, you know, requested anonymity for some reason or another, like we're talking about life and death and people who can be named. And if they're named, who could be in danger? So these are high stakes. And so NAHJ back in February, I did a whole webinar and there were about 50 people who came to it. And then Report for America, you're familiar with the Report for America program. They're fantastic. A lot of early career reporters. And so I did a workshop with the great Monica Campbell, used to be with PRX The World, and she's an independent journalist now out in San Francisco. And also Pointer Institute's been terrific. You can catch our Quoting Immigrants Toolkit on their e-learning series on immigration. So they've been terrific. And then, you know, I'm in talks with a lot of affinity groups, JA, hoping to, hoping to bring this to more journalists. I want to be a resource, but also a guide. There's so often that editors will say, you can't say this, or here's our policy. And for a journalist to say, wait, 
but this is this is what define american is saying you know you're allowed to use anonymous sources if you and we have a whole list of you know the hierarchy down to initials i don't use a pseudonym i don't prefer that but actually giving editors reasons why you have to do this i think that's kind of old school and you know it is people are reevaluating anonymity in both pictures and words is that like in terms of common mistakes that you come across or like reluctance to use anonymous sources are there other common mistakes you know i would call this a mistake i think it's a challenge for certain reporters to get their editors to understand that oh i i mean not using the word not understanding why it could be dangerous for families let's say you are interviewing a daca recipient whose parents are undocumented not here illegally they are undocumented that is one you know we we still harp on that you have to understand that if you were to name this person just to name the person to give it veracity that could put their parents or relatives in jeopardy the other the other thing that i would really caution and this is also about language we've heard a lot about the immigrant invasion in fact again with sports i could not watch the world series without these ads that kept coming on and i'm thinking when did this get so political i know it's fox but i, I just want to watch my philadelphia phillies and you know i i, I miss harry callis i'm sorry I, <laughs> I i really you know anyway I, I will spare you my home run call for michael jack schmidt but the words surge and invasion and wave and flood dehumanize immigrants and it you know it it makes them like a force to be feared and we still see this especially surge which really bothers me it's like nautical metaphors no these are people so increase influx you know words that are more neutral or explaining what it means when people are crossing the border um and then asking for asylum or crossing the border and then being expelled because of title nine which was about two hours ago just voided by a, by a court see you got to keep up with all of this it's crazy so i would i would say people are not careful with language and also identifying people in pictures is really crucial or not identifying so if you are taking pictures, we saw so many pictures of children during family separation. You really want to make sure that you protect these children. And I mean, would you have your own kids out on, on the front page? I don't know. I don't think it's safe. So being responsible is also being informed and communicating with your sources. That's what I would say is so much for any reporter, which is why this immigration beat is very much like on the national scene, people who are foreign correspondents come to it. You know, they usually speak at least three languages, but locally it's younger reporters and they're being thrown in with not enough backing from their organization or training, but they've got energy. And that's what I'm so excited about. <laughs> With 
regards to some of the different things that you talked about there all attach themselves to something that I talked about in the episode that airs before yours about the idea of fairness. And I'm curious, yeah. how do you define fairness as it comes to covering uh, immigration? Ah, fairness in both sides. Is that where we're heading? <laughs> no, just just fairness as, as a, we hear a lot about both sides and for good and for bad. Just the idea, the, the reporter that I talked to in the previous episode talked about the idea of that early in his career, he wasn't necessarily reaching out to the defense attorneys in certain situations when he should have oh, been. Yeah. And that's something that happens. There are different yeah. levels of it. I'm just curious how it applies to immigration reporting. Well, the first thing that I think of is is talking to ICE and talking to USCIS or any of the immigration agency that is under the heading of DHS. You know, it was really tough under Trump because you weren't sure what kind of information you would get. However, I always reached out to certain PR directors, field officers to understand, maybe they did know something. I mean, there was such polarization, but maybe they had background information that we needed. But even if they didn't, you still needed to talk to ICE and needed to understand, oh, well, maybe they, you know, they not a raid on a church or this wasn't a raid here at least give them this chance to explore and explain. And even if they couldn't say anything on the record, you still had to contact them. I mean, I, I used, I saw, I think it was like Harvard Crimson was saying, we're not talking to ICE. And that's terrible because then ICE is going to say, well, then you have a bias. It's the same thing as not talking to people in the community. I'm only going to get the story from a press release from ICE. So. I wouldn't, I don't like to say both sides because both sides-ism frustrates me. It's all sides. And it's getting diverse sources in both ethnicity, but also power structure, age. I think this is something in journalism that people are finally starting to pay attention to, really diversifying your sources. But you have to get the official comment, just as you had to call the NBA if somebody was being suspended, right? You, you still need this. I'm curious how being a journalist, and specifically an immigration journalist, has impacted how you view the world just from your perspective. It's been a long six years. <laughs> it's been a long six years. when. When Trump first took office and just made a just a rash of policy changes, and of course the travel ban, the Muslim ban, and then realized he was doing these things too hastily. Honestly, Mark, it felt like I was covering the Olympics because for basically three and a half weeks, you go without any sleep and you go, 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 go. And you're always trying to break story or you're trying to keep up with the story. And you don't know what end is up. I, I guess perspective wise, there are good people in government, good people in community. And there are some people who are really fighting for journalism <laughs> to succeed to cover this 
my perspective is not one of being completely depressed about the world, but seeing it from a different light of we're on this precipice right now of so many things happening in the world, climate change, which also, by the way, affects migration, immigration, obviously finances, politics, and it's very scary, the xenophobia that's out there, the misinformation, and I think this danger of fascism that's out there, and that's why good journalism matters more than ever. I think I have become like this journalism warrior. And I've done that by teaching high school students and college students that you make changes by covering your local community. And you cover your local community the way that I covered the New Jersey Nets. And I say New Jersey because that's when they were in Jersey. And it's the rule of every journalist. You show up. You show up, you mix it up, and you listen. That's it. Are there other lessons besides that that you try to impart upon young journalists? And I I presume you feel optimistic about the future of journalism, given the enthusiasm with which you've talked about the young people. Yes, I am optimistic. Having just gotten back from the Society of Professional Journalists Conference, what was so exciting to me was, you know, I didn't see too many big time programs. I didn't see, you know, Northwestern students. There are a lot of, there are community college students. I saw basically all of California there, the whole Cal system and Montgomery Community College in Maryland. Like there are people hungry to be doing Slippery Rock University. They were great. People hungry to do journalism at any level. So yes, and you have excited about it. I also am like, really? You want to go into this? Oh no, stop. Before it's too late, you can still make money something else, doing something else. You can be a lawyer. But you know, we're not in this to make money, right? We write, we make changes. You know, the people who I have impacted by writing about them fairly and by making sure that they have a voice. It's not like they you know, people have always had a voice, but they've been asked to speak. I, that is what inspires me still. And that's what I got to do a little bit more of this real unscripted that I felt sports was becoming a little too scripted. I mean, even now with Players Tribune, it's like you can just bypass, bypass the sports journalists, which is a shame because we we have that lens where we can show to others what's really happening and and to make sense of it. And you still need that. You teach, as you've mentioned, do you have any advice for students that might be listening on finding a mentor? Oh, read. There's not, I, I know students don't read a lot, even though I would assign a lot. I was speaking to a terrific young sports writer Uh, at this conference. I'm like, you should read John McPhee, Levels of the Game. And I'm realizing, oh my goodness. I mean, this, this book is like 50 years old, but it's a classic. And I mean, there's so many narrative nonfiction books that I could point to, but John McPhee is a master at details and at getting into people's heads. And so he's like, oh, I never thought of that. You know, I watch SportsCenter, you know, I, I YouTube and that's great. 
But the reading gets you into a rhythm. It gets you able to develop a voice. So I still say read, but it doesn't matter. I mean, you're not gonna see agate anymore in newspapers, but yeah, study stats because that will make you a better data reporter. You'll, you will see, wait, what, what, what's going on with this? You know, I, I see an abnormality here. I wanna go find this out. That's what I do in covering immigration. I look at demography and say, Ooh, what's this trend here? You know, why are all these Ghanaians coming to the Bronx? Oh, what's the story? So the numbers will lead you to the story. And then the story needs to be backed up by numbers. Those, uh, those are my big thing. And always carry a pencil. Don't laugh. But you may be somewhere where it is so cold, your pen won't write or it's raining. So have a pencil somewhere. The name of the podcast is The Journalism Salute. We salute you for your good work, and we ask that you do likewise. Is there a journalist or journalism organization doing good work that you would like to salute for their good work? So, of course, Ahmed Al-Aziz is, is terrific in immigration. But the one organization that I really love what they're doing, their nonprofit called Documented New York. And they cover not only immigration as in the policy, but immigrant communities and different immigrant communities, Spanish speaking, Caribbean, Chinese. It is really essential that here in New York City, we understand who are our neighbors, but also this isn't just reporting about an immigrant community, but it's for and it's by. So it is you know, there's a WhatsApp channel that involves people. It's service journalism. And this is one of the new models that really is making me excited about this profession. Liz Robbins, we thank you for taking the time to join us. We will be following your work and the work that you're doing at Define American. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.